0: Welcome to the Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where the conversation is always hot and fresh. Comfort food for your soul is always on the menu, and friends are close enough to hug. Pull up a chair. We've been waiting just for you. Welcome to Encouragement Cafe. I'm Luann Prater.
1: And I'm the lucky husband of Rachel Olson. My name is Rick Olson.
0: Well, Rick, I've asked you to sit in today because you and Rachel have been experiencing something that is absolutely crazy. I mean, this Hurricane Florence that has hit the southeast has been unpredictable, and they couldn't quite get the recommendations on what to do quite right because she acted up kind of like a toddler. As, As Rachel said, she was kind of like a turtle stalking the coast and then came on to shore and was so unpredictable. But you have a theory about storms and all of the things that go around it. Tell me what you think about Hurricane Florence or any storm in our life. Well, I know
1: that as we've been watching the coverage, and thanks so much for hosting us during all of this unpredictability, but as we've been watching the coverage, you know, the storm is terrible, and there are people who've lost lives and homes and had trees come down that have been there for hundreds of years, and I, I wouldn't want to minimize that at all, but I'm also looking at what's ahead and the recovery process, you know, and I was thinking today that sometimes the recovery process is harder than the storm and and sometimes we want to breathe that huge sigh of relief oh it's over and really in some ways it's it's the starting line not the finish line you know for what's ahead because as we get back to Wilmington all those trees that are down have to get cut up and all of the food that's spoiled in the fridge has to get disposed of and all of the mess has to get cleaned up and I think that's true in our own lives. I know I've had family members, uh, you know, who've been sidetracked with addictive substances and and those kinds of things. And sometimes breaking that addiction is a moment to celebrate, but there's a lot of work ahead in terms of that recovery.
0: Oh, that's a great analogy because sometimes it's not the physical storm that's hitting us. It is just the storms of life. And we all have them. We just had uh, some friends who lost a dear loved one. That, that, that's been like a storm hitting that family. And so what you're saying is spot on. Uh, when I looked at how Rachel was telling the world through her Facebook post what was happening. And when she got very detailed, I think people were hungry to know the details of what was to come. And she did a great job of explaining okay, now, you know, the, the emergency teams have to get the roads repaired and get uh, the food and water and, and just the things back in play again. And people started sharing those posts because they were hungry to know what's to come. And I think that's how we are in life.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when when we, when all of us have been in storm mode, it's just enough to survive. You know, whether that's the brutal part of of a hurricane or some other kind of natural disaster, we're just in survival mode and, and it's a victory to get to the end of the day. Some friends of ours are cooking on a propane grill right now. You know, they're just They're just going to try and make it to bedtime tonight. But eventually, you know, we're going to be at a point where, okay, now we got to start to rebuild and not just survive. And that's a different kind of energy and a different kind of burden.
0: Well, I I thought it was really interesting when we discovered that fights were breaking out in the grocery stores. And and I heard that some of our friends who live in Laurenburg, North Carolina— the Walmart was opening and only allowing 20 people in at a time because of all the fights that have been breaking out. People are hungry, they're thirsty, and they're doing whatever it takes to make sure they're the ones that get the supplies. So in the, in the storm mode, you start doing whatever it takes to survive. But then in the cleanup mode, it's a totally different set of circumstances
1: yeah it's a little bit more relational it's a little bit more now what and i'm thinking you know to me um, one of the stories that comes to mind is is you know we get to the promised land and we think okay we got into the promised land but there was a lot of work left after the promised land so you know, and this hurricane is kind of similar. You know, we, we're going to be at some point, we're going to be able to go back home and, and it'll be blue skies and sunny and we'll think, okay, we're back. And it's like, yeah, we're back, but there's a lot of stuff between us and whatever the new normal is going to be after this hurricane, you know, and, and then what kinds of things do we do as a state or as a city to, to try and minimize this next time and all, and of course there'll be a bunch of stuff that'll pop up months from now that'll still need our attention
0: god uses everything doesn't he good bad in between if we allow him he will use it and and i was thinking about what rachel said she was talking about how she worries about everybody that's going through these storms because they're going to experience something very similar to ptsd and that's something that we really think about when we're thinking about our servicemen or or first responders that experience uh, really critical situations but we don't typically think of it in our own neighborhood
1: no we don't and and, and we think of PTSD as a very specific uh, trigger you know that like you said war or, or an explosion or, or something like that but anything can be a trigger for a bad memory for somebody in recovery, Um, and that's something we all have to be sensitive to. I remember going to a church where we sang a song that talked about drinking in the love of God, and there was an alcoholic friend of mine who said, this song troubles me deeply, because he had a different reference for, for drinking. And he had trouble. He said, I understand why it works for some people, but it really trips me up. And so your point uh, is, is a good one. What we call it in, in media, uh, we call it resonate because it there's a certain fictional experience or distant experience that resonates or activates one of your real life experiences. So if you've been mugged, you might watch a movie where somebody gets mugged and be much more affected than somebody who's never been mugged. And the same kind of thing. I wonder what it's going to be like the next thunderstorm, even though there's no threat of flooding or no threat of anything, just hearing that thunderclap and seeing those clouds come in for the next time for folks that have gone through so much this time.
0: Well, I remember as a kid, I grew up in Tornado Alley. And my sister-in-law and her roommate were in their dorm when a tornado came from out of nowhere And the dorm that they were in uh, was hit, and it fell against the other dorm. Now, my sister-in-law happened to be out. She was with my brother at the time. But her roommate was thrown across the room, up against the door, and couldn't get out. And she was scared to death, and it, it took hours to get all of the students out. And... From that day forward, anytime there was a lightning or a tornado, watch, she was in the basement with her kids and she was the one that was shivering and scared. Even though she knew Christ as her Lord and Savior, there's something that happens that really shakes you to the core.
1: You know, on some level, all of us are in recovery, all of us have those triggers for which we really have to work hard to moderate our responses. And um, as you say, we can all love Jesus and, and we can we can leave it at the cross and leave it at the cross, but it is an ongoing process. You know, I think of recovery is, you know, in, in recovery groups, they will talk about it as more of a lifestyle. and And while you don't want to define yourself by that trigger, you also have to remember that maybe my responses will always be a little more heightened and that's where we become a community of grace and go, that's okay. And you're doing what you can. And you're offering yourself as you can. And, and that's enough.
0: Well, absolutely. I, it's a, as you said earlier, it's a step-by-step process. I mean, at, in the recovery mode of handling life after a, a storm in our life, like you and Rachel have just gone through. The, it is a daily process of choosing, okay, is this going to dominate my thoughts or am I going to search for the things that make me know today's a different day? Today is a good day and, and I can move forward.
1: And moving forward, keeping the focus on the forward while admitting and grieving some loss. I mean, those some of those trees were absolute gorgeous expressions of God's handiwork and had been there for hundreds of years and defined that neighborhood or defined that house and it's going to be hard for them to look out and say, okay, what do we do? But you can't focus on the absence of the tree. You focus on, okay, what's next and is there a joy in planting a new tree or is there something completely different to do with that space and not try and recreate the past? And I think that's a big Lesson two is that the goal of recovery is not to recreate the past or recapture the past, but to create a future.
0: Throughout our lives, we are given opportunities over and over to make those exact choices. Like, okay, yes, that horrible thing happened. It did. I can't pretend like it didn't. But today I'm going to choose to say, okay, God, I want to see what you have in store for me now. And I want to know my what's next step. You know, there are things that he has in store for us today and tomorrow and the next day. And we have to be ready to choose and say, "Okay, I am going to choose to look for the silver lining, to look for the lessons, to look how I can make this life a a brighter path going forward.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, because that's all we really have to steward is our future and our relationships right now. And so, you know, I don't know what our neighborhood looks like specifically. I've seen a few folks post some pictures, but we'll go back and we'll say, okay, what do we want to do? And, uh, you know, we've got to cut down some stuff. We've got to replace some stuff. What what do we want to do?
0: And that's the question. What do you want to do every day, whether you're facing a storm like Florence, whether you faced a tornado, whether you faced a, a crisis in your health or your job situation, maybe a prodigal child, there are opportunities every day for us to ask that exact question. What are you going to do? So Psalm 44, 26 says, rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. You know, in those moments when you feel panicked, When you feel the anxiety rising up inside and you say, I I just want to pull the covers over my head. I don't even want to think about it. And honestly, Rick, when you go home, you may look at the mess everywhere around you and it can overwhelm and you can say, I don't even know where to begin. But I think beginning with praying that prayer and saying, God, because of your unfailing love, rise us out of this, help us rescue us, help our minds to rise above the situation. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think that just
0: that next step
1: is is sometimes all you can do and all you can celebrate and all you should do and, and leaving it for another day to do another step and being able to say, okay, today I can throw away the food or today I can put the carpet out to dry, or whatever it is. And and that's what I can do today, and that has to be enough.
0: I remember when some very dear friends of ours uh, was hit by a tornado and their home was absolutely destroyed. They all survived, but, boy, were they shaken to the very core. And I remember the cleanup afterwards. I mean, our church showed up like an army of ants, and we just— uh, swept in and helped take care of a lot of those situations, those things you know helping to clear the debris and covering the roof with tarps and until it could be repaired all those things but I remember my girlfriend it, it was just setting in I mean she had been in okay got to make the kids feel like they're safe and secure and she had had that that you know hero mom cape on so she was trying to be strong through the whole storm and it came down to a headless Barbie. She was cleaning up all the debris and there she found a whole batch of Barbies that had pieces missing. Barbies that her kids had taken very good care of and suddenly their their clothes were strewn everywhere. She couldn't even find parts and And she sat down in a lump on the floor and began to just sob uncontrollably. And she said, why? Why are the Barbies' heads missing? Now, you know, of all the things that she had lost in her home, I mean, the the couch was actually sucked out of the house. They never found it again. But there she was in a pool of tears crying over a headless Barbie. And I thought what her husband did next was brilliant. He sat down on the floor with her. He took her by the shoulders. He looked her square in the eyes and he said, honey, I love you, but none of this matters. I know it's hard to let go of the stuff, but that's all it is, is stuff. And you're here and I'm here and the kids are here. And someday all of this is gonna burn anyway so it doesn't matter and she just said okay that's that was what she needed to hear and she was able to get a grip on it and got up and kept going
1: yeah and i think one of the things that that we teach in our in our discipline which is communication studies is that we live in a world of meaning not things and so what she was crying over was the loss of childhood the loss of play because it was so serious and it seemed like it was over. And while a couch was not, you know, while there were memories on that couch, there was so much meaning embedded in those Barbies because of what they still could have meant to her children in terms of the world's going to be okay and all of those things. And so when we learn that we live in a world of meaning, not just things, a lot of times that can help us understand why certain things trigger our emotions and why we react so strongly to something. And once we realize, okay, that's because it has this accurate or maybe inaccurate meaning, you know, that this, this thing means that my mom abandoned me. And so I'm going to go drink or this thing means normal childhood. And so the fact that it's broken means my children will never get a normal childhood. Those are inaccurate meanings, but those are the meanings we have. And then therefore those are the reactions we have. And so once I heard that in a college class many, many years ago, I realized, okay, the work for me to do is to have not only accurate, but also when it, when accuracy isn't really the issue, helpful. What are the helpful meanings I can have for a favorite musical instrument so that it's a favorite musical instrument that brings me joy but isn't an idol in my life if it gets broken by my kid? or whatever it might be. So I think, you know, one of the one of the lessons is going to be for for folks that are going to have to let go of favorite pieces of furniture and headless barbies is is to really realize what I'm grieving is the meaning that that thing had for me, but I can wrestle with that and then put it down and move forward because as 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 he said, you know, the kids are alive and we're moving forward as a family.
0: There are so many storms that hit us, some physical like Florence and others emotional, and uh, I remember as a kid, we moved every single year, and I went to a different school every year. And it was because, I mean, that there were good reasons for my parents to do this, we didn't have much, and my dad had taken a job in the Chicago area where the cost of living was crazy out of sight. So they had gone to a savings and loan company and said, look, we will live in your foreclosed homes and take care of them and we'll stay in it until you sell it, until you fix it up and sell it and then we'll go to another one. So because we were able to live very cheaply like that, it also meant that we had to move a lot. And so I remember never having the the luxury of having things. You know, things just were not important because we didn't have that much to move from house to house and i remember when we finally moved back to uh, where my parents were from in indiana i remember we didn't have all we had was a car so we had no way to move all of that stuff and i remember pulling it all out onto the curb and driving away and telling the the neighbors you can have whatever you want of our stuff because we we don't have any way to get it back. And I remember watching all the neighbors just descend on our stuff. And as a kid, I mean, you're looking and you're you're feeling like, what? That that doesn't make any sense. But at that moment, I I started detaching myself from any stuff i mean i just there, i feel like that uh taught me a lesson in what was important was i was with my family and we were going to have a new adventure <laughs> and i uh, over the next four hour trip i learned i'm gonna learn to live without attaching to stuff wow
1: that's a great lesson. I mean, that that is so liberating and empowering, and, and and in some ways, that moving each time was a small storm. You know, it was a small traumatic event, it, um, and and in some t- sometimes when you're young, it's a huge traumatic event because you've never been through anything bigger, and you're leaving friends. But think of how empowering it ultimately was because you learned to have an appropriate relationship with stuff, and 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 understanding that stability is always a small c, that there's always the possibility of change, and that change, I love the word you used, adventure. Because, um, you know, with my kids, I was always trying to find a way to simply redirect their energy rather than ever feel like they had to stop what they were doing. So we called the car seat in the back the adventure seat. So that I could, whenever we were going to go do something, even if it was just grocery shopping, I could say, "Okay, get in the adventure seat. We're going somewhere," and it always made it seem like the next thing was going to be more exciting than whatever they were doing. But to say, "I'm, you know, my, I'm, I'm leaving my friends and my things and call it an adventure" is really, really empowering.
0: Well, you know what? I was impressed when you and Rachel took off, evacuated your family and you have four drivers in your home. And yet, you decided it's more important for us to be together, so you all came in one vehicle to our house. You could have driven all four cars and and made sure that they were safe and sound and taken care of, but as the head of that house, you made a decision about relationship.
1: Yeah, I, I, I did. and there was a brief moment of man this isn't the most practical decision you know we could get more stuff in four cars or three cars but as you say I also felt like you know what we've put the stuff in the safest places we can and it's more important for us to see this through together as a family rather than talking on cell phones all the way up i40 going are you guys still behind us and And it just felt like, you know what, what matters most is we have a saying, four peas in a pod. You know, when we all used to snuggle and all sit on, fit on the same couch to watch a movie together, it was four peas in a pod. And it was a, it was time to get back to that. You know, even though college and high school and different schedules, this was a four peas in the pod moment. And uh, come what may.
0: Well, I am thrilled that we had an opportunity to share this time with you guys, because That's what life is all about. And today, as we're talking and we're wrapping this show up about recovery after the storm, you know, it can be harder than the storm, but here's the difference. Here is what can make it easier if we all show up for one another. If we can be the relationship, careful caregivers that God has called us to be. If we show up, and we stand in the gap for one another, recovery doesn't have to be devastating. Hey, may the God of hope give you the courage to encourage others. Rick, thank you for joining me this week. And hey guys, we will be back next week. And I pray this time next week, you can tell me a story of how you stood in the gap. Thanks for joining us today at Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where women gather, friends laugh, and hearts mend. Let's continue our conversation. Hop online, when you get a chance to sit down and breathe, at EncouragementCafe.com. Remember, this is God's ministry, so we ask for your prayers as we reach out to women in Jesus' name. We'll see you back here next week, where we fill you up one cup at a time. Rachel, I am so excited about our new website. Oh, it's looking so good. Have you been to it lately? Well, I don't know if our friends sitting around the table have, but I want to encourage you to stop by EncouragementCafe.com. You're going to find so much that is going to make you have the courage you need to encourage others.